you're listening to the Fearless Business Podcast. You're in the best place to learn about how to grow a business, get more clients, and make more money without fears and limitations, all while having fun in the process. Robin Waite is the founder of Fearless Business, a business accelerator helping coaches, consultants, and freelancers double their income and more. Now here's your host, Robin Waite. Welcome back, everybody. It's the next episode of the Fearless Business Podcast. I'm your host, Robin Waite, the Fearless Business Coach. And I've got a fantastic guest on the show today, uh, Paul Holbrook, who describes himself as the all-round optimist and the creator of something called the Diary Detox, which is designed to save a day a week in your busy business life. So let's not beat about the rush, beat about the bush here, Paul. Let's just crack on with it. <laughs> Absolutely. Don't waste any more time, do we? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We, right, normally the episodes are about 30, 40 minutes, but I said to Paul, let's just get it done in 15 minutes and be done with it. <laughs> Put your money where your mouth is. It's absolutely. a bold claim. A, de- a, day, a day you diary every week, that's a bold claim. I hope I can live up to it. <laughs> well, we'll be talking about how, how you can achieve that because it is, it is possible. I've seen you do it, um, not, just, not least with, with me going through the diary detox, but um, mm-hmm. also a number of our clients as well. So uh, I'm sure we'll be able to dig into that. But you talk about yourself as being a time rebel. What, does, what do you mean by time rebel? Uh, well, it, it, it kind of comes back from... Work. So I spent 20 years in the city of London and I always... Anybody that's ever heard me speak will hear me say every single time, I wasn't a banker. That was not me. Do not judge me. Um, I was actually in technology. And I, I spent 20 years. And over those 20 years, I just saw people, managers mostly, destroying the lives of the people that work for them. You know, they, they, they really... And, and I, I hated it. And I was part of it. You know, I was watching it from, from, from alongside. And I think what basically happened um, is I eventually had enough. And three years ago, I decided that I wasn't going to do it anymore. I wasn't going to be part of it. And instead of me being like a sole voice in, um, in a very, very big pond in the companies I was working in, I wanted to come out and do something about it and create a movement around how people think about management and leadership. And so the rebelliousness, I think, was from me just saying, sticking up two fingers to the establishment and say, I'm not doing that anymore. And also creating something that people were a bit surprised by. And they, they looked at it and went, geez, is that really what I'm doing? And I think that's what rebels do. They kind of, they, they, they stick your face in the mirror and say, Are you sure you want to do this? And that's, where it, that's where it came from. What was the moment then? Because um, where you kind of decided, like, enough's enough. I've got to get out of this because it was a. You kind of did make quite a big transformation in your life, didn't you? Yeah, I, I think there were two. If I'm honest, um, there was one that, that where the seed was really sown, and then there was the one where I couldn't say no. Um, and the one where the seed was sown. So um, I was working for a hundred thousand person organisation in the city of London. And they'd had a pulse survey run. And in that pulse survey, which is basically an employee survey, you know, you have them every year or so. And um, the results came back. And a lot of the questions in there were talking about leadership. And the results came back and said that the people in that organization felt 44% well-led. Now, 44% well-led isn't a big number. But when you put it on top of the fact that it's a 100,000-person organization, the last thing you want 
when you've got 100,000 headless chickens running around doing the bidding of your business is to have them feel not not very well led. So they did what any um, self-respecting company at the time would have done, which is they, they basically bought a management development course and they spent multi-million pounds on it. It was an American company they bought in and they ran it. It was a three-day course run over three separate days rather than concurrently. And anybody that managed more than two people uh, went on it and they they did it. And one year later, they retested their people. 34% well-led. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and I, 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 the thing is, I went to one of the first ones as an observer. There, there was a guy I used to work with in a separate company, and I was working for him as a contractor at the time. Uh, and I said, do you mind if I just go on it? I'm really curious. He said, yeah, go, go on it and tell me what you think. So I went on it, and you know what? It was brilliant. I actually think the course was very good, and this is the problem. I think a lot of the courses around management and leadership, they are very good. You can't argue with the content. Um, but I think the, so, the, the seed that was really sown was that in the morning break of that first day, I sought out the most senior person in the room who was attending and um, be, taking part in it. And I asked them a question. I said, so what do you think? Because I thought it was really good. And they said, yeah, it's all right. I mean, it's nothing I haven't seen before. And this was his face. You know, you've you just been given this amazing content. And that was what his face was. And that was what he was saying. You know, it's nothing I haven't seen before. The biggest problem is, how am I going to find the time to do all this new stuff when I've already got this stuff on my plate? Yeah. And if I'm honest, I don't think he realized the gravity of what he'd said. Because if you think about it, all this new stuff was the stuff he'd just been taught. It was the stuff that this company had spent millions of pounds putting in place. And it was the stuff that was ultimately going to make the company better. And yet the stuff already on his plate was the stuff that had led to them having a 44%, you know, soon to be 34% leadership rating. Yeah. And if I'd have had the presence of mind, if I'd have echoed back what he really said, then what he would have heard was, so you're basically saying that you don't have any time to do all this stuff that's going to make leadership in this company better because you're too busy doing the stuff that gave you a 44% leadership rating. And if you look at that for what it really is, that's mind-blowing. That is crazy behavior. That is doing all the wrong stuff. And so that that was the, sow that, the seed that was sown. But the moment where I really broke away was when probably about two, uh, two years, a year and a half later, my wife turned around to me um, and she said, look, you're not going to be happy unless you're running it, whatever it is, or helping other people to run it better. So why don't I look after us for a few years? You go start a business and see where you can take it. Amazing. And at that moment, I went, well, how can I not do that? And so that is what led me to leave that world. And what very soon after led to me finding the diary detox. Well, it sounds like one of the biggest challenges, not just in big businesses, all organizations, you know, right down to like, you know, grassroots, the coaches, consultants and freelancers, sort of people kind of who I tend to sort of hang out with these days. Mm -hmm. the, the, one of the things which I hear the most is I don't have time. You know, you're telling them about the things which they need to do to kind of um, get the message out there about their brand or their business or go and network with people or, you know, have these amazing conversations with people. And they're all like too busy cranking the hand or doing, you know, all of the the day day to day marketing stuff, that all the gurus and experts tell you to do. They're posting three times a day on LinkedIn and blogging and all this sort of stuff. And they're too busy doing their day-to-day -day work to be able to actually go out and do the growth 
stuff. And I think one of the things which has really struck me about um, having read Unsubtle Plug here, What Are You Doing, your book, and been through Diary Detox is like the analytical way you approach it in terms of like gathering real data back about how people are spending their time. So talk to us about like the Diary Detox sort of process and I know you've got you're wearing your green t-shirt today um uh, which is obviously all about communication uh, making things better which is fantastic I'm glad I'm not you haven't got the brown t-shirt out for me um but explain what what the different elements of diary detox are and how people can start to kind of apply them to their businesses yeah I mean I mean th- there's there's probably four real elements to what diary detox is but one of the most fundamental ones is is the colors um and if it's really interesting, I think as as you show show it to people, one of the things that kind of consistently came back is people said, "So basically, you're turning my diary into a mirror," and I think that's the most important thing. You know, you, you know, you you just said some people are struggling with their business, and they're struggling because they're doing all this stuff that they that they're just in, you know, it's working in your business rather than on your business. And the really interesting thing is a lot of the courses that people go on, they tell you how to do the right thing. And the problem is we all know what the right thing is. We all know that we want to do the growth stuff. That's not the problem. And it's just like that guy, that was his problem. He knew what the good stuff was. The problem was he didn't know how to not do the wrong stuff. And that's basically where the colors came in. So for me, what I tried to do is I tried to understand what it was this guy was doing. And based on my own experience, based on talking to other people, I broke down everything that we do at work every day into one of seven categories. And each of those categories sit in one of four colors, green, amber, red, and brown. And so the green stuff, so I'm wearing green today, and three of the categories are thinking, communicating, and improving. And those are all the things that leaders do. That That's what you do to make things better. You think about how you're going to make something better. You talk to people about how you're going to make things better and get their feedback and maybe rethink it. And then rather than just think about it and talk about it, you then have to do it, which is improving. So those are the three categories that form what I call the leading behaviors, the green behaviors. Then you've got two amber ones. So you've got monitoring and you've got directing. Monitoring is checking to see that things are okay. And directing is if they're not, you tell, you give instruction to make it okay. Now, those are what keep you where you are. That's what keeps things the same. And those are the amber behaviors. Then you've got the red behaviors. Now, red isn't bad. Okay. It's something I always have to talk about. Red is doing. And red is the transactional stuff. So if you're a coach, you are a coach. So when you are coaching, you are doing red behavior. It's not bad. It's what you have to do. But accounting is also red behavior. Posting on social media is also red behavior, uh, et cetera. This is the transactional. This is the working in your business. And then finally, you've got one more, which is brown. And uh, (laughs) always raises an eyebrow. Uh, It's brown and it's called floating because brown things that float are, uh, it doesn't take a rocket science to figure it out, a waste. But it's not just waste that you do intentionally. It's waste that you do accidentally without even realizing it. So basically, by giving people a way of understanding whether all the things in their diary, which of those categories they fit into, you can turn their diary into a mirror that shows them how much of their time is spent making things better, keeping them where they are, or taking them backwards or even nowhere. Um, so that, that that's a really fundamental part of it. And it's it's the green the green stuff which makes the business better. And it's like it again. There's some sort of well known stats out there which people quote regularly. Um, you know, if you look at the FTSE 100 CEOs, they they actually only 
um, spend three days a week working. The other two days, their diary's empty. And it's they can sit in their office and think about stuff, like how to make their business better. Uh, the average FTSE 100 CEO reads something like 50 books a year, you know, one, one book a week, because that's, that is time well spent making things better basically and one of the things i've noticed about my diary and i look i fill it in with the red stuff at the start of the week and i look at where where i've got gaps where i fill it in at the end of the week and i fill it with more red stuff quite often but it's because i for some reason for me i compute that sitting in my sofa over there reading a book isn't constructive use of my time i should be doing stuff should be constantly doing stuff i actually take quite a lot of discipline to stop stop doing the doing like your your friend your colleague you you, you spoke about yeah. and take a bit of a deep breath and go do you know what no i'm going to take an hour out to go and read a book because it's it's going to improve my knowledge and it's going to make things better for my business or one of the ones we discovered when we were going through the diary detox together was well two things one was about um you know i wasn't factoring in in sort of travel time or prep time before coaching calls so i was you know driving like a busy fool getting to coaching sessions like bang on time or a few minutes late kind of just been bumbling my way through it but i hadn't put the travel time into my my weekly diary which is just dumb when you think about it but it's, (laughs) it's so obvious as well um and also when i'm driving like driving is kind of floating time really this it's just moving from one place to another but actually then sticking on a a podcast makes it green time yeah i I mean it's an interesting one so at the very beginning i did categorize travel um as floating time but that that kind of changed over over a while because the, the whole point about floating time is that if you see any brown in your diary you want to get rid of it and the thing is, there's some things you can, there's some travel you can't get rid of. So to, to you know to force yourself to try and remove travel when you when you, when you actually can't, I think was was unreasonable. And I later kind of recategorized it as doing. You know, it is one of those things that you have to do as long as it is travel that you really need to do. Um, so what I tend to say is that any travel that you need to do is red. Any travel that you don't need to do, that's brown. Yeah, but you can turn it into a different color by kind of you know because you can phone up your VA. And the car on the way over, hands-free, obviously, and do a bit of directing and monitoring potentially. Hey, how's it going with what, you know, such and such? Do you need anything from me to do your job better or or whatever it might be? Absolutely. And and to tell you the truth, not even just with travelling, but with with any activity, you can turn it from a a less desirable colour into a more desirable colour. So I was chatting to somebody yesterday and they were talking about how they were interrupted. And uh, depending on you know when you're interrupted, it was an interruption that they needed to have because they were this person's manager and this person was asking them how to do something. They were having a problem with something. And what they had done is they'd resorted to saying, well, I'll do it for you. Okay, so the, the moment he picks up the pen or the, the phone and does it for him, he has fallen into doing. That is red, okay? And, and, and he said, well, what else did I have an option to do? And I said, well, you could have made it amber. You could have made it directing. You could have basically told him what to do, given him the instruction. That's that's turning it into amber. And that's still better than it being red because red, it's taking your time. Amber, it just takes a bit of your time to explain it. And then it's his red. Um, but ideally, what you want to do is you want to turn it into green. And he said, well, how would you do that? And I said, well, the first thing I would probably do is I'd say, so if I weren't here, what would it be your inclination to try? And more often than not, when somebody gives you their their opinion, it's right. It's absolutely what you'd have done. And, and what's lovely then is you can say, yeah, can't, can't disagree with that. Give it a go. Let me know how it goes. And at that point, you've spent no time directing them. And actually, they've gone away thinking, 
hang on a minute, I got that right, which actually reduces the possibility they're going to come and interrupt you with that ever again, because they'll probably just do it. They've learned it. That's coaching. You're asking people. And if they don't know, then you could ask them more questions to bring it out of them. And then again, that is green. That is le- that is teaching somebody. That's improving them. So uh, one of the things you talk about as well, and this probably harks from your, your days working in the tech company as well, with technology in, in the city, but mm. um, you know, leadership and management are always sold like together. It's always mm. L&M or M&L, whichever way you put it, spin it. It's always mm-hmm. management and leadership, right? Yeah. But they're both pretty different, aren't they? So why, how, how do you start to kind of differentiate those two different activities, especially as a small business owner, because you, you're actually taking on both management and leadership roles in your own business. So what's the difference? So, and I think, you know, you bring a really interesting point out there because, and, and I think you have to be very careful that we use the words managing and leading, and then we use the word manager and leader. Okay. So they are very different things for me. So um, when you look at the colors, so the green behaviors, are what I call leading, okay? And the really easy way to look at it, because because this was a frustration I always had in the city. You know, people do it, they, they, they completely um, intertwine the phrases and they get them mixed up. And then you have people coming in and saying, oh, wait, I'm a leader. And it's like, I would never think of calling myself a leader. A leader is what somebody else calls you. I'm a manager, yeah? A CEO is a manager. The prime minister, they call them leader of the Conservative Party. He's a manager is what he is. It's up to other people to decide whether you are a leader. Um, But what I would normally say to people is, look, just have a think about the one person that epitomizes leadership for you. Who is it? And they'll usually say Winston Churchill, Oprah Winfrey, Warren Buffett or whomever. Sorry? Braveheart. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And that's an interesting point. So you say, okay, so why is it that you singled out Braveheart as a leader? What is it that Braveheart did, not in terms of their actions, but what was the effect they ultimately had that singled them out as a leader? And usually people turn around and say, well, it's because they made something better. Someone or something was made better or held the promise of making something better. And when you understand that that's what really leading is, it's about having the effect that makes something or someone better. You then say, well, what is it? What are the activities that make things better? And it's thinking about how to make something better, talking to people about how you make something better and sharing and collaborating that, and then finally making it better. So leading for me is the green behaviors, making things better. Managing are the amber behaviors. It's like supervisory. You know, you are there to make sure things are happening the way they should be. And if they're not, make it so. But when you think about a manager, depending on whether it's a junior or a medium level or a senior level manager, you would hope that they would have a, a, a healthy mix of all the behaviors. So it's differentiating manager from managing and leading. But ultimately, leading is green, managing is amber, and doing is red. That's, that's the doing. And obviously, like one of the great things about like, you know, the reason why we see a, a leader, the true visionaries is because they kind of set ridiculous goals for themselves. So if you take somebody like Elon Musk, for example, he's definitely a leader. Like he's not there. Like once upon a time, he was probably making, you know, rockets and cars and things like that and bits for them. But now in order for SpaceX and for Tesla to keep on growing, he has to take that vision and have a goal for Tesla and SpaceX and be able to articulate that goal and get other people to execute on it. And, you know, so, so would you say that kind of to, to, to kind of uh, be able to execute on those, the green activities and be a leader, would you say that um, you have to have a very clear idea about where you're going in order to be able to execute that? You do. But I mean, that, that's why the first of the green behaviors is thinking, you know, thinking. And it's interesting because people say, you know, 
So how do I know to select green? It's like you don't. What you do is you look at the what you're doing at a particular point in time, and then there's a description. So thinking, which is the, the most important of the green behaviors, is you're considering vision, strategy, a plan, or how you're going to overcome obstacles to achieve those. That is thinking. You haven't told anybody about it. You haven't done any of it. You're just thinking about it. So, so important. And if you, I mean, th there was this, um, oh, there was this uh, interview that was between, somebody was interviewing Bill Gates and Warren Buffett. And they were talking about time. And Bill got Warren's um, diary and said, oh, look at his diary. It's crazy. It's got nothing in it. And what Warren was really basically saying is, well, my diary has to be free because where am I going to think about where the hell we're going next? And that is thinking. So if you look at a CEO, I mean, you use some stats there, which was they spend three days a week working in the business and then two days a week out. If you look at the ideal mix, because, of course, as a CEO, you want to do more and more of that green behavior. If you can't, then you have to probably question who you've got working for you that's not allowing you to get out of the out of the weeds. Um, but the recommendation I have is that if you're a C-level, so CEO, you should be spending four days a week on green behavior. One day a week should be spent on amber behavior, just making sure that no balls are getting dropped, keeping that kind of calm eye over everything. No doing, no floating. Now, four days a week, and I would say half of that time should be just spent thinking. And thinking can be anything. It can be brainstorming with people. It can be going for a walk and just thinking about your vision. It could be going out and spending time with your um, coach and it can bring stuff out of you, bring out new ideas. Really, really important. What do you think it is though that about about that that people feel find so hard though? Because I think people kind of feel guilty about taking that time out of their business to focus on themselves or on the business. But what is that driven? What's that driven by? That's driven by um, learned behaviour. You know, if if you look at anybody that's had a manager, you know, I mean, for for instance, I in my life, I probably would say I've had about seven or eight managers i would say two of those managers have been what i call really really good managers okay so the odds are stacked against you because before you actually end up going on that management development or that leadership development course the only way you get to learn management and leadership is by the people who you work for and so what happens is that most of the managers and leaders have grown up learning it by rote uh, most managers are ex-experts, and so it's really hard for people. If you were an accountant, I mean, like, for example, your wife is a lawyer. So at some point, to become a partner in a law firm, you have to have been a lawyer. And sometimes people find it really hard to let go of that old life, that law, you know, being a lawyer, being an accountant, being whatever, a consultant, and to find that new place, which is to actually manage people. And you have to let your old job go. That isn't what you're there to do anymore. You're now there to manage other people. And I think what most people who have become managers have done is they've learned bad behavior, you know, the bad habits from their managers. And what they've learned is that the only way you can be effective is if you are productive. And productive, creating a product or carrying out a task, that is part of the definition of doing. So we've learned that we should be filling our time with red stuff because that's the stuff that gives us results. Whereas that is certainly the stuff that the people who work for you should be filling their diary in with, but it's not what you as the manager should be filling your diary with. You know, you're there. Um, have you ever heard of a guy called Ben Hunt Davis? Yes. Yep. Ben Hunt Davis at MBE. So I'm going to be talking to him about coming onto my podcast shortly. 
And what is absolutely fascinating is that he put a post on um, LinkedIn a couple of weeks ago saying, are you on the dance floor or are you up on the balcony? And it was a really simple analogy. And what he's basically saying is, is that most people are living their lives as managers on the dance floor, whereas what they need to do is they just need to go up onto the balcony and they need to look down. And it's only when you do that that you get this overview of what's really going on because you you sometimes can't see the wood for the trees. So I think that's what's happening. And, and you know, now what I tend to say when people ask me what I do, I say I help managers who are too busy to do the right things by stopping them waste time on the wrong things. We don't need any more courses telling us another right thing to do. We know the right things to do. Scratching at the steps, isn't it? It never really goes like seven layers deep and actually really like identifying what the problem is. And like you picked up and suddenly my wife is a lawyer and one of the biggest, and I've worked with law firms as a coach. One of the biggest bugbears I always come up against with my, my legal clients is uh, uh, billable hours and time recording. <laughs> and it's like they set quotas that are just so, even at partner level, like ridiculous. It doesn't just doesn't allow for anything other than doing like 80, 90 percent of their time is just doing. Absolutely. And, and that's the real challenge, because what's really interesting there is. So, so what, you know, if you went into the diary detox with a law firm and you looked at the partner level, that's exactly what it would tell you. It would tell you that a lot of their time is read. You know, they're, they're, they are, and, but the biggest problem there is that that's not learned behavior from management previously. That is incentivized red behavior. Yeah. You are basically saying the only way you get big fees is by doing red stuff, which isn't keeping your business where it is or making it any better. Well, it, doesn't, it doesn't incentivize <laughs> it to make it any better because the incentives are doing, you know. And one of, the, one of the challenges, though, is that you end up, like the structure of law firms, for example, is that you end up with, you know, equity partners, board level, and a chairman or woman. Obviously, I should, mm-hmm. shouldn't make any kind of sexual uh, uh, assuasions, you know, um, yeah. generalizations here, but, um, well, sorry, sexist um, generalizations, but you have the chairperson at the top of it. And obviously, if their vision is still all about doing and it's in that archaic sort of nature, it's, it's just ingrained and rife throughout the entire business. Absolutely. And, and, and I think what, so what's interesting is that when I, when I, about a year into doing what I do, um, somebody actually turned around to me and said, it sounds really interesting, but I don't think we're that bad. And they were at the very top of the organization. And I went, oh, right, okay then. And they said, have you got something that I could just dip my toe in before you know, jumping in head first? I said, yeah, yeah I, I, well, I haven't, but I'll create one. And I created something called a discovery. And it was just an hour. You go in an hour, do a lunch and learn. You do it with everybody in the company. And what's really fascinating is you usually get bought in by somebody very senior who says, I think my people have a problem with their time. What it actually shows them <laughs> is that the person that has the biggest problem with their time is the person at the very top. They are modeling the behavior and they don't realize it. And it it is both a lovely and an uncomfortable thing to watch during that process when you see the results because the results come in live on the screen and you see the results come in and they look at you and go, really? And you go, yeah. And I think that's... I don't know if you're allowed to share this as well. Didn't you have um, uh, uh, a client where the the VA, they wanted their PA or VA to be involved as well in the process? (laughs) She yeah. kind of looked at him and was like, really? Is that true? <laughs> well, okay, for, for comedy value, it's a little bit better than that. But I'd actually forgotten about that. Yes, absolutely. So I, I went in to do a diary, and this was a full diary detox, not a dot of discovery, um, with a, with a uh, head of HR and their VA. The VA comes for free because they're an, am- an amazing weapon in making diary detox work. 
And um, one of the things you do during the E-step, so it's five steps, D-E-T-O-X, detox. And in the E-step, you basically assign the right category to each of the items in their diary. And there was this one meeting, I think it was about a two-hour meeting that they went into with them and their peers. And I was in the middle, the VA was on my left and he was on my right. And we were looking at this big screen on the in front of us. And I said, so what would you argue that that thing is then, that two-hour meeting there? And you went, oh, that's definitely green. And I went, oh, right, okay. So which green is that then? He said, that's thinking. And I've got pretty good peripheral vision. <laughs> and all I could see in that, that out of the left corner of my eye was the, was the VA going. <laughs> <laughs> and what was lovely is that they had a very um, psychologically safe relationship. You could tell because as she was doing that, he looked at her and he went, what? And she went, are you honestly telling me that that meeting you did, you couldn't have done in half the time? And he went, well, we could have done, yeah. And she said, that is the definition of floating. And I, I was sitting there going, well done. I mean, I literally couldn't have done that any better myself. <laughs> because, because ultimately, anything that you do will fit into one category. And the way that happens is by looking at what you spend the majority of time doing. And so by definition, yes, half of it may have been thinking. But the mere fact that half of it was a waste of time meant that the whole thing was there for a waste of time. And it's not saying that it is a waste of time. It's just basically getting you to look at it and go, crikey, half of my time there was wasted. And that's a big realisation because then hopefully you'll cut it in half and never do it again. That's where like the whole planning process and review is so important because, um, you know, if you look at Parkinson's law, for example, if you give a two hour task eight hours, you'll find a way of making it more complex to fill up the eight hours. And that's like, you know, it's not just about having meetings for meeting's sake, but it's about actually what you do with those meetings. And if you give it half hour, like most of the time people are like sat there for 15 minutes, kind of twiddling their thumbs going, can we go yet? Like we're done now, aren't we? That's the, the question answered. Yet they'll still sit there for a quarter of an hour, despite the fact they don't need to. You, you, you make a brilliant point because what's interesting, you remember earlier on you said you had gaps in your diary and invariably the gaps get filled with red and brown stuff? That is because of Parkinson's law. You know, when you have a gap in your diary, unless you consciously plan that time to become anything other than red and brown, I'm telling you, it will become red and brown. Every single instance where somebody has a gap in their diary, they go, I don't really know what I was doing there. When they finally have the revelation, it was just, it was either waste, most often it's waste, or they extended something out so that it took a little bit longer. And that is the manifestations of Par- manifestation of Parkinson's law. So I need, I need a bit of help here, Paul, because um, from, you know, when the girls go back to school and stuff, and like, it'd be remiss of me to say, you know, to not, not make a little bit of a nod to the, um, you know, the crisis which we've had going on for the last few months. But mm. I have been, you know, running my business on sort of half the time of what I'm used to, obviously, for because of family and things like that. Um, so my plan is that when the girls go back to school, I'm going to carry on using the same amount of time to run my business, but find other things to do. But I want to start going down to the wave down in Bristol and do a bit more surfing. Okay. Now, yeah. surely that's green time, isn't it? Thinking time out in the water. Surely. <laughs> So it probably does become green time, but it doesn't start off as green time, interestingly. So what's what's, what's fascinating is that uh, one of the things just after the book was published, sorry, the book over there for me, um, just after that was published, I realized there was a a color missing. And it doesn't change anything I said at the beginning. You know, everything you do at work will fit into one of seven categories. But there's another category that is nothing to do with work. And that was blue blue behavior, I call it. 
And whilst you have thinking, communicating, improving, monitoring, directing, doing and floating, you've also got living. And living is really important. And Parkinson's law plays into this as well. So basically, whenever you put uh, time in your diary, uh, I've got this thing at the moment where I say the only way you're going to get a life is if you plan a life. And so what I recommend to people is before you put anything in your diary for next week or the week after or the week after, put all your blue time in. Yeah. Planning your, you know, your breakfast, planning your breaks during the day, planning your lunch, planning your exercise, plan in the end of your day. I have an hour at the end of every day where I work, we'll go, we'll go for a walk with the dog. And that is my barrier. That's that, that is my permission to just down tools and wait till tomorrow. So when you were to put something in about going down to the wave, that would go in. <laughs> Funnily enough, it's blue behaviour because it's blue water. Well, I'm glad glad it wasn't brown behaviour because that everybody <laughs> wants to go surfing in brown brown floating yeah. floaty water. My like Western supermare or something like that. Yeah, Sorry to the Western supermareites. Um, but yeah, so that starts off as blue behaviour. But here's the interesting thing: whenever I because because you know you talked about the review, so there's this thing you do at the end of the week called the weekly diary detox, and the weekly diary detox is 30 minutes, and you a look back to what's happened in your week, and b you look forward to your coming week to plan it up for success, to set it up for success. What's interesting is that anything at the beginning of the week that starts out as blue behavior, so going for a walk with the dog, going to wave, going for a walk, anywhere, whatever, when you go back and review at the end of your week and say, so what did, because one of the things you're told to do is say, okay, so that meeting what starts off as blue, what did it actually end up being? And that's a really important reflection point because if a meeting you thought was going to be green turns out to be brown, you think, how? What, what, what did I do wrong? And, and that's where you start to learn. What invariably happens with the blue stuff is it becomes green on reflection because it's only when you down tools and you stop actively thinking about a problem that you actually really start thinking about the problem. It's absolutely fascinating. And what you're trying to do is you're trying to get people to realize that going and reading a book is not a bad thing. Going and going for a walk and consciously thinking is not a bad thing. Going and taking some time off is often probably the best thing you can do because it will invariably turn into green behavior. So as, I, as I'm popping up off like a really heavy wave, you know, I'm about to get steamrolled by the damn thing, but I have a massive flash of inspiration about my business that could be green that could go down as a green activity. Awesome. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. And, and I think I, the message I got there as well, it was very subtle, but the message I got there was like, plan the blue time first. Absolutely. Well, it's like I said, you know, to have a life, you have to plan a life. Um, Parkinson's law states, I mean, you said it already, you know, the work will expand to fill the available space. That's what happens. And the problem with that, if you take that to its natural conclusion when it comes to work, and if people watching this are probably honest with themselves before lockdown, that's probably how they lived their work life. You know, you basically lived in the gaps between work. The problem is there's always more work. You always find more work. And actually Parkinson's law says that even if something takes half an hour, you could fill two hours with it. So unless you consciously, and this is what I did, I actually had a kind of a mini burnout about week five. And what I did was I was working from eight in the morning till six in the evening. And I was planning in my exercise at the end of the day and having a little bit of lunch. And of course, I was just mashed at the end of the day. I was like completely fuzzed. So what I decided to do is I thought I, I need to live this in a different way. So I basically plan in what I call a foundation week. So I plan in all the breaks, all the lunch, all the exercise in the middle of the day, uh, the break in the mid afternoon and the end of day walk with the dog. And I only allow my work to fit in the gaps between. Now, what you actually find is that 
the work doesn't expand because there isn't any time for it to expand into. If it does expand, it's because it really needs to, not because it can, because you just got space and yeah, I'll work till six, whatever. That's really important. And what I found was that because I put my exercise in the middle of the day rather than the end of the day, I was more alert in the afternoon to the work I was doing because I'd had a break in the middle of the day. I just had time to reset. And that often turned into green behavior because I ended up having an inspirational moment. So definitely plan it all in first. I'm sure you have tons of inspirational moments, Paul, but we are coming to the end of the um, end of the podcast interview. So um, what are you working on at the moment? So at the moment, it's quite exciting, actually, because at the moment, um, things are about to change. They're in the process of changing. So, you know, for the last two and a half years, the diary detox has been in my hands. It's been sitting with me and then either a small business at the very beginning or latterly a CEO and an executive team and so on would have come to me and said, could you help us? And that is a diary detox with any follow-on support they require. Um, what I realized very, um, very clearly at the end of last year was that this whole story started with me seeing what happened in the city and I thought I don't want it to just sit in my hands it's not enough that isn't you know that's that's a product and I want to create a movement and so one of the things I decided to do when two coaches approached me uh well one coach and one L&D professional approached me at the end of last year and said would you consider teaching me how to do the diary detox with my clients and it was that thing I'd always thought about but it was like when's the right time and it just felt like the right time. So one of those coaches is in the process. Uh, sorry, the L&D professional is in the process of writing the train the trainer course. And so um, we're about to do a beta, which I'm hoping to invite you to um, at, uh, in September. And that is going to be to create diary detox practitioners. And so you will be taught everything you need to be taught to be able to deliver a diary detox to your clients or anybody you choose. And... That's brilliant also for the L&D community because, you know, L&D do nothing but create courses that tell you all the good stuff to do, but nobody's doing a course that shows them how to stop doing the bad stuff. And that's what becoming a practitioner would be. So that's the exciting bit for the moment. Cool. So if anybody wants to have a chat about the practitioner program, if there, if there are any coaches out there about that, or just generally want to have a chat with you about time and diary detox, what's the best way for them to get hold of you? Uh, two ways, uh, either send me an email, so that would be paul at diarydetox.com and not dairy detox, as some people make the mistake. <laughs> I do have a, f- a funny moment with that where people say, dairy detox, what's that? Well, I come around and stop you from drinking milk and they actually believe you. Um, so yeah, <laughs> paul at diarydetox.com um, or go on to LinkedIn. I'm, I'm, I'm very visible on LinkedIn. You'll see my videos that I do. I'm usually wearing a t-shirt that's talking about the thing I'm talking about. And that's Paul Holbrook on, uh, on LinkedIn. That's the best way. And what we'll do is we'll, we'll share links to both of those in the show notes as well. So people can hopefully click on those and come and have a chat with you about time. And that would definitely be green. I'm sure that conversation um, for both. Well, of you. for them, it'll be green. For me, it'll be red. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, and <laughs> our final question. Uh, yeah, we have, we have a final question, um, which I ask all of our guests. And I, I used to put a time frame on it that was like really fixed, but actually for you, you get to, um, we're going to jump into the fearless business time machine, like Marty McFly and doc. And we're going to, you get to punch in the date and you're going to go back to a date in the past and have a word with Paul Holbrook T minus X number of years. So when is it? And what would you say to him? I think I would, do you know what? I know what it is. I'd go back to the moments that I could, I would probably go back to just after I did my GCSEs and I was 
really rubbish at school. I, I was just there to be with my mates. I, I didn't study. I didn't do any of that kind of stuff. I would go back when I was probably worried that everybody else seemed so sure on where they were going to go. And I would say, Paul, just trust your instincts. You'll make it. Everything's going to be good. Just go where you're, just go where you, you know, you need to go. Yeah. I have no, I have no regrets over where I've been in my life. Um, and I would just say, live it out the way it's supposed to be. Yeah. Well, I think that's sound advice. I think we can all take forward in some some element, and you shouldn't have any regrets regrets over that. Definitely, because um, like at the end of the day, we wouldn't be blessed with diary detox at the time we've got it. And I think life has never been busier. Now is the right time to get diary detox into more people's hands. You know, yeah, because yeah. of not just because of lockdown, but just generally because of all like the overwhelm that we've got with technology and ideas and all this different stuff. So I think I think everything has happened at the right time, Paul. I think so too. <laughs> cool. Awesome. Oh, I be quite emotional that has now. <laughs> Sometimes it's why I ask that question because people do pick pick a time in their life which does mean something to them. So, yeah. and you, you have to kind of step back into your own shoes, which is actually quite a hard thing to do. So, it's important. It's always worthwhile reflecting. That's definitely green activity. Uh, that's actually wow. So that's actually amber monitoring. Is it looking back to see that things are as you intended for them to be? But if you come up with an idea to make it better in the future. Oh yeah, but see, you're a power user, so then it becomes yeah. The app starts as amber, becomes green. <laughs> there we go. Power user, I love that. I'm a power power user of Diary Detox. Awesome. A power it's practitioner. Listen, everybody, if you want to get a hold of Paul, jump onto LinkedIn. Um, it's um, Paul Holbrook. You'll be able to find him on there, and the website is diarydetox.com. Go and check out Paul's amazing book. We'll share a link to Amazon on it as well. What are you doing? What uh, are you doing? What are you doing? So, um, thanks, Paul. It's been an absolute pleasure. 